Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Jason <laughs> is back. And there's a guy I'd like to give a surprise party for. <laughs> for some new blood. But this time, someone is waiting. <laughs> Friday the 13th, part 7. The new blood. Starts Friday. Welcome back to Whose Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where things don't matter, but the boobies do, or in this case, the uh, reanimated corpses. Uh, this week, we watched Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, and Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, so you know what that means. Lots of shenanigans, <laughs> lots of, uh, lots of pretty, pretty... We all know what it means. It means that there is a very wet corpse chasing people. And yet again, people do not smell him. The smell. You haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. You haven't thought of the smell, you bitch. And with that, uh, as always, I am your host or co-host, Joshua Page. And with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Steve Molina. Hello, everyone. Well, we made it through two more. Only two left. Only two left. Uh, It has been a workout. Uh, for those joining us who may be confused, as always, we are covering Friday the 13th, the original canon, up through uh, part 10. Um, we are not doing uh, Freddy vs. Jason, nor are we doing the remake, and we are we are now over the other side of the hill, and boy, we are slipping down this hill. <laughs> I'll be honest, uh, you just said a workout. I'll, like, truthfully, I not to jump too much on my final thoughts but i felt that both these movies weren't that painful in fact they were almost fun yeah you know? um, and the movies we're talking about by the way are part seven and eight of friday the 13th yes like new blood and jason takes manhattan, manhattan. as uh, so again it's this new blood and jason takes manhattan part seven and eight and there will be spoilers because again uh, i guess we're doing that spoilers we haven't done yes. that in a while no, it's okay. I figure hour, hour and a half long podcast about certain movies, you know, they'll get the idea. Yeah, these are, um, <clears throat> it's starting to feel a little bit like uh, the franchise is on autopilot uh, for both better and worse. But it's really, um, like you said, it's not as much of a workout as part five, which if you listen to our last week's, woof. <laughs> <laughs> Rough stuff. Um, no inbred mothers and... Uh, um, Mentally challenged children riding a ride in a motorcycle, shouting to the woods, being called a dildo by their mother. <laughs> Come in here and eat your slop, you dumb dildo, or whatever the fuck it is. There are no extras from the Michael Jackson's Thriller music video. Uh, attempting to take a shit in an outhouse while being impaled and being held up by their girlfriend. Um, there are not 150 outfits, red outfits for young for Reggie, because young Reggie, Reggie is not here. Is, has moved on. That's right. Um, There's no more Tommy and Reggie or Pam or any or of these Tina. people. Oh, no. Uh, or is it Tina? Oh, yeah, it Tina is, is the lead Sorry, girl. Sorry, sorry. Tina's this time. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so, Steve, take it away with um, your usual questions and things you want to go over. Yeah, yeah. just to uh, say... Josh and I said last week, we're not going to talk about how we saw these movies anymore because it's the same story. So we're just going to jump right into the production, pre-production, all that fun jazz. 
So the director of this was John Carl Bulcher. Uh, the budget was $2.8 million and it made $19.1 million. So that's, uh, you know, they got their money back. This was made in 1988. This is Kane Hodder's first appearance as Jason. Uh, so, production. Hodder was considered too small for the role of Jason. So they had to build him a suit, like a test suit. And I guess they uh, liked it enough. It worked. The suit also helped give Jason a dead look. Uh, the director said this time around he wanted Jason to actually look like the damage he's been taking the entire series is inflicted on him. So the suit helped put that prosthetic makeup on him, you know, because for the first time you truly do see how disgusting he is. I, uh, I'll save that for some of my thoughts, but yeah, you really, it really shows this time. Yeah, the director of this movie was actually a makeup artist. Uh, sorry, a special effects artist. He worked on like Nightmare on Elm Street and a couple of other movies before this. That's, um, that ama- I didn't know that. That actually makes a lot of sense though. Yeah. Um, so Tina, as we said, the lead girl, was conceived because they wanted to give Jason a challenge. And the director said that essentially they just made a clone of Carrie. I was going to say the characters are awfully similar. <laughs> But the girl who played Tina, Lar Park Lincoln, did her own stunts. That's cool. And she she said it was very challenging because she was not a stunt woman. That's that's definitely uh, speaking of stunts. uh, Jason, you know the roof collapse uh, Mm -hmm. on Jason that was done for real. Oh my god! What really? They literally crashed a roof on his head, and he said if it wasn't for the uh, steps his head would have been smashed in because there's a, now a dent on the mask because of it. That's uh, very interesting. I did not think that was for real. That's a pretty good stunt. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Pretty wild. Wicked wild stuff. It was shot in Baldwin County, Alabama, and they filmed in January. The director said that they needed a state more amenable to the ideas of using a lake and blowing up a house. <laughs> and, and Alabama got, seems like the place apparently they, they got their wish now they actually did film on a lake and in Alabama what do lakes have inside them alligators <laughs> so they had an alligator wrangler come on <laughs> like they literally had to pay an alligator wrangler on the set this is not a real story <laughs> it is a real story and the actors <laughs> who played Tina said that this guy was like 90 years old (laughs) and he's walking around set with a gun just in case an alligator comes and she said like she had no confidence that this old man would be able to shoot an alligator before it attacked her you imagine being on set of a movie it's like oh we got ourselves here an alligator wrangler just in case and this old old man shows up with a gun (laughs) holy smokes you can't make that up back to the effects though Uh, the fire that we see on Jason they said that was also extremely difficult to do because typically when we see a person on fire in a movie they're lit off camera and then they just run into frame this time around uh, they actually lit Jason on fire on camera you literally have to see him combust 
and that was actually hot as well. That's pretty wild. He's on fire for a very long time. (laughs) It's it's not a quick uh, it's not a quick flame there. Because the director was a uh, makeup guy, a special effects guy, the deaths in this movie were actually supposed to be more gory, but the MPAA cut a lot of them. Um, I was gonna make it's funny. I was I had made a note of that because they um, uh, the director had publicly fumed over about uh, over the number of edits required by the MPAA to avoid an X rating. Apparently, yeah. they submitted it nine times to the MPAA before filing rating because I felt like they kept cu- they cut away from the violence more than this movie than I than I th- think they had in almost any of the others. Because they couldn't show, like, probably with the other ones, it was easier to cut around. This one, the deaths that they shot were, like, very intense and severe. Like, uh, Maddie's death, she's the one who, like, is in the stable that gets stabbed with the uh, hook or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be, but actually we don't see it. We just see Jason grab her and it cuts away. Originally it was supposed to show her death. Right. The, The head crushing that Jason does. They said that was originally very graphic. They made a fake head that was filled with blood and it could be crushed into the size of a walnut. (laughs) See, where's the cut of the movie that has the crushing of the size of a walnut? We were, the mother who died, very, very tragically, the mother who died, we were supposed to actually see the blade hitting her spine. Oh, really? They had to cut that too. Yeah, and, they cut a lot. And Dr. Crew, when he gets cut open, we were originally supposed to see his intestines. Oh, man. So, as you can tell, the director was not too thrilled, as Josh said, and this is why. Because this movie was supposed to be a lot more bloody. This is the movie, this is the Friday the 13th that famously, for me, has one of my favorite deaths that they cut down, and it's the sleeping bag death. Because Hotter's favorite death. The, in the in the script, or at least I don't know if they filmed it, is he <laughs> he's supposed to whack the sleeping bag? Spoiler alert! He's supposed to whack the sleeping bag against the tree multiple times, and I guess they shot it that way, maybe, and they submitted it, and they're like, "We cannot have this. You can't, you no, can't have." Well, I can tell you the real story because Hodder talks about it. This is his favorite death uh, in the movies. Originally, they filmed it. It's a body inside the sleep, like a fake body inside the sleeping bag with six gallons of fake blood in it. (laughs) So it's heavy. And he had to do the take a few times. And the first couple times he whacked the tree, you know, over and over again with the blood bed. But by the last take, he was just so tired and angry that he slammed it against the tree threw it to the floor and like did the like angry look up and the director said his anger just just permeated through to the point where like he had to use that take so that was the take they used i mean it's it's convincing but i know that they were supposed to at least somewhere in the script it was supposed to be that he did multiple whacks and they were like you can't do that so yeah so that's really funny that's all i really have you want to get into the categories I do, but I yes. thought I had an, another note. Uh, hold on. 
No, the X rating one was the one. I know that uh, this. I know that uh, this film was originally intended. I'm to be true. This film was originally intended to bring Jason and Freddie together for the first time on screen. However, when Paramount um, had the rights to the <clears throat> Friday the Thirteenth series, and New Line had Nightmare on Elm Street, they couldn't agree uh, to something. The script is rewritten to put. Tina, and that's how that happened uh, in the plot. But so they no, were conceiving. That's actually the next movie, the next movie, which, which is how they ended up in Manhattan. We'll talk about well, that later. Well, the new that's trivia under the new blood. Interesting, because because that's I, I so I guess what that means is what I take that as is they conceived this idea of Freddy vs Jason long before the actor. It's very possible, and later on we definitely see an appearance by Jason. So um, uh, by Freddie, I mean by Freddie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll get to that next week. <laughs> no, yeah, I have no, I have no other main notes, but yeah, we can get, we can definitely dive into the categories. All right, as always, the best cat, the categories are best kill, best chase, best weapon, worst character, and depending on the day, best or worst quote. <laughs> Absolutely. So Josh, um, tell us, what's your best kill? Um, Although so, I guess we spoiled it with, because uh, we already talked about my best kill. Oh man, it's, it's the only one that I have. It's the, it's, I was going to have, I, I want to mention the runner-ups, but I don't want to spoil. You know what? No, you know what? I'll just save it. I'll, yeah, spoiler. I mean, it's, all right, we've pretty much spoiler. gone into it. I, I feel like there's really nothing other for me other than the sleeping bag kill. That's my... That's the only one I have. I don't. I there's runner-ups, but I don't want to spoil the weapons because I'll get into that stuff after. Um, that's the only one that I mean we we had talked about it already, but that's yeah. that's the one that got me riled up. I love that's it, a so. great one. But the only other kill I have as a runner-up is the opening uh, death, the one it, that Jason doesn't commit of Tina killing her father through her psychokinetic telekinetic powers <laughs> just because of how horribly it was acted and just it was... how funny it was that this dock just like implodes and he easily could have gotten off the dock if he had just moved two seconds earlier i and also love... i make to me it just makes no sense that this woman has been like mourning the loss of her father who literally was beating his wife you know like we're supposed to think this guy is a good guy and we want to bring him back why he was beating his fucking wife all you showed is that he was a terrible person. All yeah. the audience is supposed to know he was a horrible wife beater. Let's move on <laughs> to best chase, I guess. Uh, for me, the best chase was actually Tina and Jason's telekinetic. Like, she's fighting through her telekinetic powers, and he's just, like, fighting back. It was interesting because it was, like, a reverse on every... Uh, chase that we've seen thus far because she was I, chasing him. I liked that a lot. It was creative. Yeah. It was not, I wasn't used to that. Um, I don't think it really, at this point of franchise, you have expectations of how things go. Um, mine's much more. Is that the only one you have? Uh, I have another one, but that's my choice. Oh, okay. No, you can mention the other one if you want. The other one is Dr. Crew being chased with a lawnmower or weed whack or whatever it was. Oh, that was good. Just because I, I hated that character. And um, uh, what's it called? The chase was just fun because he's being literally mowed down. Yeah. I love it. And mowed down, as they say, as literally as you can get. Because um, the only one I have was the, it was actually early on, was the character Jane, her boyfriend in the woods. 
Um, the way that they shot it, now it's I'm getting a little, um, <laughs> a little cinephile with the way I'm talking right now. But like the way they actually shot it, because they did shaky cam and they showed the character running and they kept showing Jason walking and it actually was done in a menacing way. Um, uh, I guess uh, Jason had like a knife in the back and he was still kind of walking scrambling through the woods and then the way they shot it low to the ground and then the way the camera looked up at him kind of marching towards him and you know it was inevitable um it was just done effectively i was like wow this is the first time i feel like they're showing jason towering towards and i, I don't know why it's all working i don't know if it's kane hotter if it's the way it's shot or if it's whatever but it was an early moment in the movie and i said this is working and so i'm gonna make a note of it and that was that was the one that was the one i made uh, the note of yeah so what's your best weapon um i hope i kind of hope we have the same answer i can't imagine we wouldn't but my runner up is the pole chainsaw thing it's cool because every time i use a weed whacker um or i or yeah really a weed whacker i always imagine it like i had one the other day at work i had one that i had to throw away they um, at lowe's they were someone returned Can one you chase we can't someone use like this. and someone was at the edge of the dock and because we've been watching these movies um, I meant to send you a picture that I had this tiny, <laughs> we had this big pole with a tiny little pitchfork prong at the end. And it looked like something I would stab someone with, but it's so tiny that I would stab a, a little person with it, but I would, of course, never. But anyway, you can. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> That's, my mind's been serial killer mode, which is great to say, you know, on air. That's like, I've just had these movies on my mind. But I'm holding this thing, getting ready to throw it in the garbage, and I'm approaching my coworker and I'm holding it like a weapon. And one of my managers is by me. He goes, he looks at the window. He goes, I don't know if this is a gag or if you're just trying to uh, pretend you're in the worst serial killer movie ever made. Worst slasher movie ever made. But this is Leave me alone. I've been watching a lot on Friday the 13th. And we were laughing It's an about homage it. to Friday the 13th. That's what <laughs> you should have said. It's, it's an, an homage. homage. <laughs> it's an homage to Friday the 13th part 7K. <laughs> okay, leave me alone. But of course, inevitably, <laughs> the only choice that I could go with was the kazoo yep. slash party <laughs> horn slash noisemaker. I just love the idea that these movies, as they continue to become more ridiculous and embrace the murders and the weapons, that they're like, what can we do to do something that's clearly being funny? And when I literally, they made that, it made that sound. And I laughed, I audibly laughed, and I rewound it. I said, I know, I have to know what this thing is because I have to write it down. So I rewound it, and they show it earlier, like about a minute earlier, they show the character blowing on it. And Check I'm like, Jackoff's party gun, party horn. I, I couldn't believe, and you hear that beep, that sound effect. And I was like, <laughs> and I couldn't believe that they had the audacity to do that cartoon sound effect while they're putting it in. I loved it so much. So it was an homage to Beaker's the the Muppet. <laughs> um, if that yeah, that has to be the glare winner. That, that death was just that noise was just too funny. I know <laughs> a sadistic way to go, but it's clearly the funniest. Uh, worst uh, character. Please, yes, tell us your worst. Tell the tell the folks at home. All right, I have character. two runner-ups before I get to the real choice the runner-up is melissa because she was just a i know we don't use this word about women anymore but she was a bitch um, oh yeah truly just you know 
the horrible um, woman. She's the one with the pearl necklace uh, from her uncle. It, you know, I don't know if that was uh, everyone a hard time. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if that was a euphemism, but uh, uh, she was just like making fun of Tina for being in a mental institution, trying almost fucking another guy because she wanted to make some other one jealous, even though he clearly showed no interest the entire time. It was a terrible. And she wanted terrible to leave the house because she's like, oh, he's dead. It's fine. I'm good. <laughs> she's asking for it. She's, she's I at, hate, she's just, I mean, I, I know that even that's like, it's just, she, it was just terrible. They just design, I feel like they design these characters, like, let's make them as despicable as we can so that we root for them to be To die. Off. Yeah, just wait for the next movie. Um, <laughs> they bring her character to the next level. Um, oh, they really do. My other runner-up is Eddie, the sci-fi nerd, just because he was very irritating. Oh, like, yeah. he was just an asshole. You know, was, just because you're a nerd doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. I mean, hello. <laughs> I mean, we're not helping the cause, but... <laughs> You know, uh, but my real answer is Dr. Cruz, because I just feel like they made him just the, the biggest dick ever. They do this in almost every, <laughs> like, uh, every movie that comes after this is there's always like that stick in the mud guy, like older man who's like, huh, Jason Voorhees can't be alive. He's dead. There's the designated dick and this it's i don't I, well, i'll save it for the thoughts but they this you just said it perfectly it's like this kind of character it's like someone looked at this mold and like this character in every movie and we need them to be horrible you know just like the horrible teens we need the grumpy old man who's a denier i mean and it started terrible. the last movie with the cop but he um, kind of feels dad. different than the yeah the cop dad but the way that series goes it's just like they make it this old man in a sweater that's always just like smoking a pipe going fuff oh fuff i don't know if it's like they open with him and and tina and they're sitting there and he's got the the, the things on his desk the clink clank things or I don't know, just a therapy thing and i'm like oh immediately i was like this guy's got to be the worst i mean that's my pick it's like this is this, there's no one worse. He's just con- and he cons- and consistently the worst. He was Always. just yeah. oh, it was bad. Um, um, let's go to best quote. What do you got? Um, so Ju- a runner-up was uh, Judy when she was in the tent when her boyfriend was uh, had left. It got killed, and Jason was coming, and she thought Jason was there. <laughs> she thought he was playing along, and said the line, "Okay, you big hunk of man, come and get me." And I said, oh, come on. I was like, come on, this is ridiculous. Um, But to hark back to what you had said about young Tina and the acting, (laughs) young Tina, this is my pick, young Tina going, I hate you, I wish you were dead. And the bridge immediately collapsing (laughs) and mere seconds later going, no, daddy, no, while he's drowning. I couldn't help but, I know it's cheating because it's technically two separate quotes, but it's one moment. And I'm thinking, how is this, how can they, who passed this off as a thing? I, I mean, I know these are the Friday the 13th movies. No one, you know, is looking at the quality here, but good grief. And then they call yeah, back to that moment. fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you were dead. Immediately followed by no daddy, no. Um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's really something. Please, um, uh, my runner-up is Dan in his Terminator voice going, I'll be oh, back. 
just because we talked about how these movies clearly influenced James Cameron, and now <laughs> we see James Cameron clearly influence these movies. It's, it's symbiotic. I know. Yeah, um, but my actual best quote, I forget, I didn't write down who said it, but uh, the quote is, the party hasn't even started yet, and it already looks like closing time of the stock <laughs> exchange. It's funny because I remember that line. I was going to write it down and I was like, no, 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 I'll write it down later. And I never, I didn't even write that one down, but that's such a clever line. That's what. I, that's why I picked it. It's very <laughs> clever. <laughs> and I'm like, you have never been to the stock exchange. Don't pretend <laughs> you've been to the stock exchange. And there's clearly less cocaine in this house than at the stock exchange. Because for, yeah. don't forget, this was 1988. You know, this was the year of the movie Wall Street. This is, this is the year. Um, and as we said in the last episode, cocaine is, you know, makes appearances. Cocaine is a big thing of this era, and it made its appearance in this franchise. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Yes, it yes, does. Yes, it does. So, oh, Josh, man. tell me, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Um, good grief, man. I don't know. Um, I know. We're already at that point. It's <laughs> really... All right, so I had mentioned while I was watching a couple of notes is that I said the budget is much better. House explosion, the production value, as you talked about in the production notes. Um, and Kane Hodder as, as Jason is, is just, he makes for a quality Jason, the way he moves, the way he looks. Uh, again, that's going for production. The way it looks, I mean, you really feel like they're up in their budget. You really feel like they're spending their money. And I guess maybe that's why the MPA had to cut away from the deaths because maybe they looked extra gory. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not looking at, uh, you know, hitchhikers picking up eyeballs in the middle of uh, the road while <laughs> <laughs> trying to hold, hold them up in 3D. We've come a long way. Um, this, uh, like I had said earlier in the episode, it's that I, I starting to feel like the franchise is on autopilot. Um, not necessarily for it, yeah for both better and worse, but it's really just their the story was kind of feels like it was invented on the fly with Tina uh, and the psycho uh, kinetic stuff. But it's like by the time you get to the end and the finale with her in the house and the reveal of Jason and the mask and his, I feel like his face changes every movie. Um, it, it does. You really feel like the set design kind of pays off, and it's really. Um, it's starting to feel like the tropes um again they're like set to it's like set to a, a certain mode it's like okay here are the teens and what are they doing it's like okay they're throwing a surprise party for someone it's like oh they're not partying it's like yeah they're partying but it's a surprise party whatever we're we, we need to reason to gather teens together and the characters are just even more paper thin i liked the tina character but at this point i feel like we're not supposed to be analyzing anything other than the kills and the stuff that you and I are talking about. Um, it was fun, and it's certainly uh, embracing the bizarre happenings even more. I mean, <laughs> the fact that she, Tina, uses her telekinetic powers to raise Jason back from the dead, only to have her undead father bring him back down is just like, I was like baffled to see it. I thought it was a dream sequence. Well, I don't mean to cut you off, but originally the ending was supposed to be different. She was supposed to resurrect her father from the bottom of the lake and he was supposed to come up all zombified and grab Jason. But they what changed happened? the ending because the studio didn't like it. 
because they didn't think that anyone would remember who the father was at, by the end. No! What? So That's... they said that you got to make him as like clear and unmakeuped as possible. So people like at least kind of remember. It's terrible. My first question is why does he look exactly the same? Well, again, uh, yeah, when Jason has clearly deteriorated underwater. <laughs> Even though if he had been, although, again, we don't know how long it's been, but if you're underwater for an elongated period of time, your body is going to decompose. You're going oh, to literally, man. your skin is going to leave your bones. You know, oh, so I, I just, I don't know how long he's been down there, but it can't I, be for that long. I like that they wanted to do their little callback to what they were doing in the first few movies where they have a character pop up out of the water or pop out of somewhere to drag another character down into the depths of wherever. I but, still don't understand how he drowned, to be honest. Do you not? Like, he clearly knows how weapons work. <laughs> you know? He knows how to work a chain. I've seen Jason X. He knows how to work chains. He knows okay? what he's doing. So you're telling me he doesn't know how to take a chain off from around his neck? It doesn't you know? make it. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look like Tommy was wrapping him up all that much. You know, it's kind of a couple times here and there, but come on. you. Come That's on. my point. And for my final thoughts, I honestly am kind of happy we didn't go back to the Tommy well. It was nice to, like, get a break from that. Yeah. Like you said, though, you said a lot of good points. This movie is clearly on autopilot. But I do respect the fact that a lot of time and effort went into the prosthetics, even if they didn't make it into the final product. Because clearly there is a difference between the Jason of the last movie and this movie, just the oh, way yeah. he looks. Because the director wanted to show how worn down he must be at this point. And let's be honest, he's died several times. <laughs> he would be worn down. <laughs> you know, it's just going to happen. They, um, they did good at that. They did I, The production value, it's one of the only movies we've watched so far where the production value makes up for the things I didn't like. I may, though I may not like Tina, I do respect them trying to bring in a new spin. Oh, yeah. It's a totally new, ambitious stab at it. It's just kind of like, hey, it's let's have this go. Yeah, it's very out there. But I respect the fact that they brought someone in to try and bring a new life to it. So I guess my actual final thought is that I respect the movie more than I actually like it. I completely agree. That's so, a great way of putting it. That's uh, our final thoughts on part seven, New Blood. Do you want to get into part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan? Why, yes, Stephen, I would love to get into part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Funny you should ask me. Let's get into part eight. Jason Let's takes Manhattan. Holy so, smokes. As always, it is a new director. Rob Hayden came in. Uh, he worked on the Friday the 13th TV series. He made three episodes, which is how he got this gig. 
this movie was made for $5.1 million, but only grossed $14.3 million, which is why after this movie, which came out in 1989, it lay dormant for a few years, because the next one wasn't until 1993. That's the biggest break they've taken thus far, right? Because almost every other movie has come out the year after or two years after. This came out a year after part seven. Most of the sequels have been coming out. They, yeah, they usually come out a year after. But but the next break is the longest break, and the break after that is the longest. Because mm. um, part, part nine comes out 1993. Part 10 comes out uh, 2002. Oh, it was that late? Yeah. But part nine and ten, like the returns on this movie were clearly not what they were expecting or wanted Mm -hmm. to the point where they got rid of the property altogether because part uh, nine and ten are new line. This is still Paramount. Oh, okay. Which is why if you get the box set of, well, not the box set, but if you get the Blu-ray set of this movie, it only goes to part eight because that is only the Paramount portion. Oh, 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 okay. So whether you keep it or not for the air or, or not, it's that this box that you and I have, you have the Blu-ray version, I have the DVD, is only up to part eight. I always thought that's just because they're like, hey, how can we get a cash grab out of whatever movies we can? And they're like, well, let's just put the first eight movies. I didn't even think about it from it's a, a production thing. standpoint. That's very yeah. interesting. But I guess the rights must have changed now that they're putting out, they put out a Blu-ray set in like 20 whatever 2011 or 12 or so but they're, they're putting out an official shouts putting out shout factories putting up the one that you and i talked about uh that they're putting all the movies on so i guess they must have made some kind of agreement on the yeah, property well they would have had to and my guess again i don't i don't know the inner workings of it but typically blu-ray companies like uh big companies are able to get studios to work together in a more uh, in a better way than they normally would you know, if you look at some directors' box sets, a lot of the times the studios don't actually work together, but the Blu-rays bring the movies together. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of one. Like Stanley Kubrick, I have one. Not all his earlier movies are Warner Brothers. Sure. Yet I have a Blu-ray set that has Spartacus and 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's funny you say that because I've seen Stanley Kubrick sets that some don't have Spartacus or some don't have some of the earlier works, and they'll have... Or some won't have some of the later works, depending on what ones you get. Yeah. Anything, uh, I believe it was 2001, or it may have been Strangelove, when he solidified his uh, home at Warner Brothers. But we're not talking about Kubrick. We are actually no, 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 no. far from Kubrick. <laughs> That's just to give a snippet of how far our mindset can go. <laughs> Very dangerously into other territories. So uh, let's get into the production, pre-production, all that jazz. Uh, the director, like I said earlier, uh, wanted to bring Freddie into the movie. And again, because of studio problems, because Freddie is New Line, which is why they're able to use him later, uh, they couldn't get Freddie. So the entire movie had to change. And the director was asked the studio, can I take Jason out of the lake? And they said, go for it. Gotcha. Um, but if you'll notice, the portions in New York City, even though the title is He Takes Manhattan, he's in <laughs> Manhattan very sparsely. He does not take much of Manhattan. <laughs> he takes, 
one look in Manhattan uh, because they shot in New York City for all of two days. Uh, it shows. Yeah, most of the filming of the city was in Vancouver. Uh, they only shot in Times Square for two days. Uh, originally, they wanted to shoot the entire thing in New York City, but because of budgetary reasons, they couldn't. Yeah, so uh, I have the note here. Rob Rob Hayden, I guess, is the screenwriter? Yeah, the director. Ro- oh, he... Oh, okay. Yeah, said so Rob Hayden wrote more of the movie to be set in actual New York, having seen stage in Madison Square Garden, the Brooklyn Bridge, Statue of Liberty, and the Empire State Building, but Paramount told them the him to spend that much time in new york no. so was forced to rewrite the film and spend more time on the cruise ship uh the director says he agrees with fans who complain that not enough time is spent in new york given the title uh it's the most ironic thing about this whole movie i honestly think that the movie doesn't need to spend a lot of time in manhattan but if you're going to spend as short of the amount of time as we do in this movie in Manhattan, change the title. It's not that difficult. Oh, Mike. Oh, absolutely. And like, I want to get into it. Yeah. Um, well, we're, we're going to get into it. I mean, I want to get into it now, but I'll wait. Yeah, we'll, we'll production. get into it later. But it's the fact that it's that it's on a cruise ship. It's just, you could have marketed it that way. And I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, honestly, you didn't need to go to Manhattan at all. Stay on the boat. It worked for James Cameron, you know? Jason takes a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is know, this movie came out in 1989 i guarantee james cameron saw it and was like you know what would be better if these people stayed on a boat the whole time and that's when he came up with titanic listen i got this movie the abyss right it's gonna be a prequel to titanic but somewhere in the middle you got jason Voorhees, right i don't know why he's a, i don't know why he's an italian i don't know why he's in <laughs> sopranos but no no, no okay. i digress please please continue with your notes um so they shot in Times Square, which, you know, we, Josh and I are in the New York area. I actually live in Manhattan. So to see Times Square, at least for me, in this movie, like, as dark as it was, and, like, not the crazy, like, bright commercial zone it is now is, like, some wild stuff. It I don't know weird. how you felt about that. And it, it, well, it's weird. I mean, I, I mean, I've been familiar with, I mean, we're New Yorkers, you know, I, I worked there for three years, but I've been in the city many times. And it's weird because our generation, we were brought up in a much different New York after it was cleaned up. So it's like you like you just said it perfectly. It's bright and commercialized. Whereas you look at New York pre, I don't know, 1990, whatever, 97, 98. I mean, that's where it started to change. But like, you look at any movie that depicts Manhattan, and it's like a garbage heap with thugs, and it's dark, and it's it's always darkly lit, and people are always like dressed in very suggestive outfits, and there's always. Well, to you- be fair, the characters in movies now that take place in New York, you know, the people you're watching are usually criminal, but they're white collar criminal compared to the right. blue collar criminal you oh used my- to see. And it's just funny because, like, we look at this old Manhattan that's depicted here, and this is the kind of Manhattan I've seen depicted in movies before where you're like, oh, this is a very different New York. This is, I guess, how New York... I actually made a note that says, I think the director saw Taxi Driver one too many times. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. I mean, that's how it feels. Uh, So, Julius's head, like, how we see the... Act, like we see from the head's perspective it tumbling down yeah. the director said that he wanted that and that he thought it was hilarious 
in order to do that, they put a camera inside a Nerf ball. That's really clever. It's it's really funny. Um, uh, that, when they were yeah. filming in Times Square, though, Hoder, who came back, he's Jason again. I think he's Jason from now on. Throughout, um, yeah. He said when they were filming in Times Square, fans were obviously all around the area. They had to barricade it, but they were freaking out. And every now and then, he like between takes, he would just stand very still and look someone dead in the eye, and that person would usually shit their pants. Um, so Kane is very notoriously known at like Comic Con and like certain con- like horror conventions. Is like he loves this character. He loves playing. Or he- he was doing it he loved playing it so he was devoted and to the character so much and like that's one of the top notes as it said when they were filming in manhattan um he didn't want to take off the mask as to destroy the illusion of jason so he said that every once in a while he would slowly turn his head and watch the people looking at them on set and he would watch them all go crazy and he like got a kick out of that so it's like it's cool to see that an actor involved especially one playing that the iconic character is that involved to try and like toy with like the people so let's talk about filming the boat, Steve Zizow's boat. <laughs> this movie had a wilder oh. boat than the Steve Zizow boat. This boat literally had a disco bar. It had a sauna. It had rooms for everyone. It was crazy. Um, I just want to say, you just—it just—it just—it's like lightning struck my brain. You've seen Booksmart. When the kid, uh, the popular kid, he finds it's not so popular. He's like, "Yeah, he's come to my party. It's on on the on my yacht." And the girl's like, "All right, we'll find out whatever information." And they go to the boat, and then it cuts to like the empty disco rooms. That's all I could think of, like watching. Like I was like, like I'm trying to That's think of what it reminded me of. And now it, cut, it came to me because I'm like, isn't this supposed to be like a big high school graduation like cruise? Yeah, my note is also, who sanctioned this trip? <laughs> because did a school really sanction this trip like they're gonna take responsibility for these kids coming on a boat like i want to know who who planned this i just don't understand how two adults became chaperones both kind of related to this one girl out of like six students total and they're fighting and like you said there's an empty disco room and it's like, where are they going? And they're celebrating like they graduated and there's banners, but where is everyone else? What yeah. is going on? What is the point of this trip? <laughs> I don't, what is happening? I don't, Who I allowed so this questions. to happen? Um, <laughs> there's so many questions. So there were actually two ships that were used. Uh, now, originally, this is different from the two ships. So originally they had a ship, uh, for like the master ship, the hero ship. That was like what they were going to film on. But three days before filming, they pulled out. So they had to scramble for a new boat. And they found one, but it was act- but it was a smaller boat. So in order to get the shots that they needed, they had to film at a wide angle lens at a very close range. You know, if you notice, you don't, you never see the entire boat at once. I was going to say, there's, it's there's always not one many- section. There's never really a wide shot of it. The rowboat at the end was real. Like, you mean in the final act when they're going to... When they're going to Manhattan, that was real. They actually rowed to Manhattan. I would never have thought. Yeah, especially the way they were rowing. It looked like no one had ever taught them. I, <laughs> I was going to say it was a pretty jarring moment because it felt like 
it was the moment that was literally bridging two completely different movies together. <laughs> Jason in the porthole, the kid, uh, you know, the kid in the porthole was actually the editor's son. That's how they found the actor. It was very easy. Um, to film it, they just put the kid in the pool and put the uh, door on top of the pool and filmed above it. So th- it's literally a 90 degree angle looking down on a kid in a pool. So it's I guess that's cool. Easy. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but what are your comments about it? Well, <laughs> I was going to integrate it into the categories. I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil oh, okay. it. Okay, then we'll uh, no. save it. But what I was going to say is I thought, <laughs> me being the astute, ob- observant filmic, uh, film person I am, <laughs> I'm watching this and I see this little kid swimming and me just, you know, and I'm not thinking clearly. I'm thinking, oh, what is the child from The Grudge doing in this movie? But I digress. Please continue. The actress who played Renee said that she was more scared of the dog than uh, Jason. Because <laughs> if she saw the dog on set, she knew it was going to be a long day's shooting. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is funny. Dog's best appearance of the movie. What? I think the dog... stra- who brought this who's allowed the dog to come on the trip and when... how did the dog get into the rowboat and... these are more questions when did the dog wh- whose dog is that i just feel like the dog was definitely not needed the dog was just i it didn't add anything except for unless they were going to kill the dog which many horror movies do and they didn't do that which is fine because as we talked about our last season slash topic uh we've seen enough dog deaths that we don't need more but it was just very strange i don't even remember seeing the dog on the rowboat was the dog on the rowboat the dog was not on the rowboat until it was on the rowboat you know (laughs) like as soon as all the characters were on the rowboat the dog just magically appeared like i remember trying to count them like how many characters have survived now and i'm looking and all of a sudden like the dog wasn't there and then the dog was there and then i thought that maybe i was just seeing things very strange uh the final note I have is that uh, Shirley Martin, Tamara's character, she has the nude scene. She's the one in the shower. Yes. She said that she was very scared to do it, obviously. So Rob Hayden, the director, actually got naked in the shower and did it before she did to like show her it was no big deal. That's really funny. And apparently he had no idea that the film, like the crew was recording this. So the <laughs> next day... Paramount gets dailies of the director <laughs> taking a shower. That's wonderful. Can you imagine watching that? Good grief. And I lied. I do have one more note. This was supposed to be the end of Jason again, which is why he's so brutally killed. The director said that he never really expected Jason to be gone forever, but he wanted to make sure that we thought like he was like he went for it. He was like, I'm going to kill him. I guess the fake outs weren't enough. They had to really just, which had a very, I want to, I do want to save it for final because I want to talk about it, but it's like the way they ended it and the way they killed him was very strange and he very disintegrated. Um, well, well I, I do want to, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it later. But um, no, the only other note I have is that one of the top notes from IMDb is that, mm-hmm. um, According to a magazine, Kane Hodder vomited on cue in the final scene after drinking several pitchers of water. Oh. This was this was not a special effect. So I guess there was a part where at the end they had him doing it. And I, going back to Kane's commitment to this role. <laughs> Clearly committed. 
It's gross. Very committed. But yes, let's uh, let's take the deep dive into our uh, categories. And then tell me, Josh, what's your best kill? Um, <laughs> it's the only one. It's the only one. It's the. It's. It, this is. I mean. I guess. Oh well, because our category. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on, you can scratch this. Um, I have only one. It's the only one I can. I had. I wrote down was Julius. Um, <laughs> I had. I thought of a couple runner-ups, but even before you and I ever did our did this, it landed on Friday Thirteenth as our topic. Um, this was one of my favorite kills of the franchise. Just seeing this guy fight back so bravely, and he's getting tired and. I just, like, I can't get over, like, everything about it. They have this big buildup. He's punching. He's punching. And in my – I forgot how long it goes on for. It keeps going. Because in my mind, I'm like, this is like, oh, it's like a 30-second clip. It goes on for, like, a two minutes where he's just taking wax at Jason. I know we keep joking about this, but I feel like Tommy Wiseau made this movie because it felt <laughs> like one of his sex scenes. It just kept going and going Different and going. angles. And I'm like – And what? I feel bad making fun of it because the actor who played Julius was literally punching Jason and like I mean, the blood on his hand was real. Like oh. he literally did it. So I feel bad, but at the and same it, time, it, for this is a movie and like, it's too long. He sells it. And I'm like, dude. And he does the first round of punches and I'm like, okay, surely this is going to be the moment. And then he's punching and punching and it just keeps going. And just that uh, Jason's head just keeps turning and he's getting more tired. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so drawn out. And then they get to that moment. <laughs> it's everything about it. It's the sound effect. It's the fact that he punches the head clean off his body. And then like you said, with the molt with the cam, the POV cam of the head spinning and then it falls into a dumpster and then the dumpster closes. like everything about it. It's one of the only deaths of this fran whole franchise that makes me laugh out loud. And I'm like, I respect it, but I also like it. It's very comical to me. And I'm like both laughing at it, but I'm also like respecting with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do. just like, I do. I don't know, man. I just, I love it so much. Um, there were a couple runner ups I thought, but I don't want to spoil the weapons. So I just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stick with the head punch. Okay, cool. I have two. That's cl the clear winner. That's my winner as well. Uh-huh. But I have two runner-ups. Uh, sure. The Tamara death, which I felt was, like, truly suspenseful. Like, yeah. For this franchise thus far, this has been, like, yeah. the most su suspenseful death. Well, most of these movies, it's been pretty uh, – some of them have been silly. Some of them have been outrageous. Some of them, they've – put a head through a bus uh, side of a RV door, you know, and most of them are like very outrageous and violent and explicit and quick. And this was like, they built to it a little bit because it's not like he didn't have a crazy weapon. It wasn't like unsuspected. Like she's screaming and he's coming towards her slowly. So the way that he was done was actually, like you said, it was for this franchise, especially was genuinely suspenseful. Yeah. My other runner up. And I know it's like technically not true, but Jason's death was kind of impressive to me in this one. My note is very Gollum-like because he literally disintegrated like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the hand. Of, with yeah, the yeah. hand. And not just that. He's literally melting in whatever he's like in right now. It's pretty yeah. gross. His face melting was crazy. Yeah. But that's, that's all I really got. And also, what's with all this toxic waste in New York? I don't... 
I feel like the Joker came to the city and all of a sudden there's toxic waste everywhere because another character, we'll talk about it later. Um, well, I mean, this, the man under, in, the man in the sewers, like, he's like, you better get out of here. He's like, at 12 o'clock, they're going to, uh, yeah. all, the, all the waste is going to come in. I'm like, all right, I guess we're expecting Well, he was looking of, for some good stuff. There's good stuff down in the there's sewers. Good, there's good stuff, yeah. You got <laughs> but you got to take your shoes off you and got, go you cl- take it's like clamming. Shirt. You gotta take your shirt. You gotta take your clothes off and hold it above your head. You know what I mean. So. Well, eventually a wall of piss and catch it, and it's sewage. That's what it really is. It's sewage. It's gonna come at you, and you want to make sure your clothes stay dry. (laughs) You have to. Um, But uh, tell the uh, good people at home your uh, the best chase. Okay. Um, Eve Wantanabe one. on the dance floor, just because of the pure stupidity of it, she runs all the way down to the disco area, and then all of a sudden is standing on the dance floor, looking at all angles, like, not moving, and I'm like, of course he's going to get you. You are in the middle of a dance floor. There's a disco ball above you. Why are you not running? (laughs) You're just stuck where you are. And she um, got like she ran to this specific spot, and it made no sense. Um, but my actual answer, I guess, is the New York City chase, just because you know it, it's just very long and it's hilarious. Um, uh, Jason taking his mask off in front of thugs is where well, it really one, starts. Well, well, which one are you talking about? Because it takes a couple breaks. The very last one. It He's starts with the, Jason taking his mask off to those kids and they're like whoa okay we'll let you go and then they run into the diner and then they ultimately find themselves in the sewer um yeah because my runner-up was also eva with this because the way they you know what it is i was i was digging it because i'm like the way they shot the stairwell because again like i uh we had made a note you and i made a note um we made i'm sorry you and i had made a note off air that this is the this was the hardest because the chase sequences as they go along become fewer and fewer and so when i made a note of it they actually the way they shot her running down the stairs i'm like oh this is gonna be good and then she gets to the disco room and i'm like okay and immediately i'm like this is both, both visually clever and kind of silly because like you said it's like putting her in the middle of a dance floor uh but also there's the big banner like whatever congratulations students or kind of whatever yeah, and this it's, is a and graduation thing where, or... why are the music and the lights on i was questioning all that but i digress um that was my runner-up uh because my number one was the the specifically the subway chase before his first fake death no sorry before his second death. um he fake dies he fake dies when they hit her she hits him with the car Yes, the second one, because I liked the idea of them, them running through the subway between the cars. They look back, and he's there. Um, it yeah, didn't I don't know how thing. he figured out how to work the the toll booth or whatever it is. <laughs> there's, a lot that, there's a lot that doesn't factor into Jason keeping up with these characters. In Not Manhattan. only the Jason character, but the other characters, too. How did they get on the train? It's not like they had time to buy the tokens for the subway. No, it was weird because my suspension of disbelief didn't even kick in because I didn't, I guess because of the way they edited it because they're running and then all of a sudden they're on the subway and it wasn't until Jason starts following him in the subway and I'm like, how did they get here? How did they get to the subway? How did they and Jason both all get to the subway without fare? Um, (laughs) No sense. 
Um, so that was my only one. But it's, so I liked the way they shot it. I liked Jason in slowly in the uh, in the carts. I wish, they did, whatever. Um, well, we will move on. Cool. What's your best weapon? <sighs> this was tough. My run, my runner, my runner, runner up. It's gonna be the hot zone on rock. Um, That's one of my I, runner ups as well because very imaginative, very. I just clever. you know. Um, uh, Melts right through him. It's okay, man. Come on, man. I thought we had like that after the fight. He's like, oh, you know, no hard feelings, man. Whatever. He's like, hey, who are those babes? And he's got the the, black, the cloth over his face and he grabs a sauna rock and he impales him with it. I thought that was clever. Um, my, the next runner up was with the heroin needle. Um, yeah, did they like really shoot up in this movie? There were several shots where like, I no feel like I saw the needle entered the person's body. Well, you can like fake it, but also like it was a, this whole, that whole subplot, and I will bring it back because I want to bring them back into the next category. Subplot was very jarring. Um, <laughs> Cause you've got a, uh, not Tina, whatever, the Renee. Yeah, Renee. Uh, and, and she's like, you're, she's in the situation. Like, How's she getting out of this? And she gets saved. By Jason. By Jason, who's trying to kill her. Um, the way they did it, I'm like, the needle through the body, I guess, and it's coming out the other side. Like, it's ridiculous. And I don't know if you guys have to go pretty far. A needle's pretty, a needle's pretty small. I don't know. Yeah, that was crazy. But I thought it was a weapon. Like, I guess they found, they're really trying to find all their options here. Um, my number one, though, of course, had to be early on with the guitar. Um the rocker girl, I don't remember her name, J, uh, JJ or whatever. I don't know. JJ, I think. Um, but the way he came at her with the electric guitar, and it was very, like, reminded me of a video game, but obviously these movies have gotten sillier, so they're embracing it, of him to the screen with the blood trickling down over the camera. I thought it was good. I just thought the way they used the guitar and you hear the sound effect, it was cool. Um, I dug it. Uh, that's my answer. I agree. I agree. But my best weapon is actually Jason's bare hands when he punched Julius's head clean off his body. <laughs> just because I wanted to just change it up a little bit. Honestly, the real answer is the guitar. Yeah. They, um, we have yet to see... Well, we've seen Jason crush people's heads. Um, yeah, but we've never seen him punch someone, cl someone's head clean off. Clean off the body. Oh, my God. All right. It's incredible. Worst character. There were a bunch to choose from this time. Absolutely. Uh, there was obviously Charles uh, Charles McCole, uh, the uncle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I went with the crusty old man the last time, so I'm not going to repeat it. But this guy was pretty crusty. This guy was he like... He was bad. This guy was clearly like, you just, I, I don't know. I feel like he almost had a Lolita situation going on with his niece. He was one of my runner-ups. Um, as if the whole him being seduced by the student, uh, whatever, uh, Tamara, was, was yeah, bad what enough. What was that? Which was a very bizarre plan. Because like, oh, let me try and whatever. Oh, I, I'm going to want to do my This is my work. science experiment. You know, and I'm showing the underwear. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, you don't like what you see? And I was like, this is an outrage. You know, and then they're like making out. And it's like very, very strange. But as if that's not bad enough, I'm not trumping your answer. I'm just no. going. But then they have this whole plot at the end where you have this flashback that he's like, he pushes, what's her name, into the water. 
And he's like, you're going to drown. Just, you know, you're going to have to learn to swim. Jason never learned to yeah, swim. He said the, the <laughs> Renee, they show a flashback. I felt like it was a B-level Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Just <laughs> the way he was like touching and grabbing his. I could see that. And like, I don't know, it was weird. Uh, Tamara was also up there mm-hmm. trying to seduce that guy. Pushing, she pushed the lead in the water, even though she knew that the water. But again, we've just listed two movies with the exact same characters because, yep. you know, you have the crusty old man and you have the really bitchy. The bitch. Yeah. Then she's doing cocaine, all that stuff. Um, then I also had the muggers, which I'm sure you wanted to talk about more in depth. I'll let you do that. But I... my real answer is the deckhand, simply because I feel like we haven't gotten a character like that since Crazy Ralph in the beginning. <laughs> like... The deckhand is going around to one person at a time to tell them about Jason, and he's not even telling them about Jason. He's just like, "You're all doomed." Uh, we haven't we have a character like that. Tell me how I'm doomed, okay? Let's get specific. Don't you want to live too? Am I crazy, or do you not want to die as well? I like the idea that someone got really on board with like you know, the cruise and the, a little bit of Manhattan and someone jumped in there like, we got to bring back the profit. It was like, you're all going to die. You're all doomed. Because that's clearly what that character is. Doomed. <laughs> all right. What's your worst character? My, uh, you know, runner ups, same as you, Dr. Charles, Tamara. Uh, I had the help me child from the grudge, AKA young Jason. Didn't, <laughs> but no, the, um, the thugs were my worst characters. Um, it was very because as soon as they get to Manhattan, they get mugged immediately, and I'm like, "All right, you." They're talking about singing "New York, New York." The New York's supposed to be this glorious thing in lights. The second they dock, they get mugged. Uh, it was very bizarre. They almost kind of look like pirates. I get what they were going for with the bandanas. Like I understand. Um, it was very out of place. It reminded me of just how thugs are in like cartoons. Um, it, they were only there briefly, and again, they get stuck. They get thwarted by Jason, who saves lead character only for him to kill her. Um, yeah, they inject the her with my enemy, right? It's really something, and they inject her with heroin, uh, Renee with heroin, and then I guess is she supposed to be doped up for the rest of the movie? She seems pretty fine. I don't know about the rest of the movie, but for, she plays off the heroin in one scene. Like she's a little whoopy like wobbly when she falls on the guy and then she's like fine it's very bizarre they took me out of the movie but then again i didn't even know what movie i was in in the first place yeah <laughs> but let's go to best quote uh what's your best quote um two runner-ups uh, the captain to the mate <laughs> I don't know why the line just stood out at me. He said, Carson, how old's your boy now? And he said, 19 months. And he said, tremendous age. Tremendous age. He repeats it too. Tremendous age. Tremendous, tremendous age. age. And he tries to make this moral, like, like, don't push him too far or whatever. But he just, tremendous age. I'm like, okay. that's a, I didn't know 19 months was a tremendous age, but now I know. Um, <laughs> this was a setup. Uh, intended to be funny, but uh, when they run into the diner, there's a maniac and he's trying to kill us, and the waitress says, welcome, welcome to, New, to York. New York. That's good. Yeah, again, like last episode, it was the um, uh, you know, I'm not the one with the, red, with the funny red nose. Like, it's intended to be funny, so it's like I can't give it the, the, 
the top slot. Of course, it goes back to Julius. That's my number one. <laughs> JR, he's, after swinging, he says, take your best shot. And take one, motherfucker. And then that's right that's before he gets behind. Boom. Take your best shot. And then you just hear, the, again, with the sound effect, going back to my, my best kill. Um, that was That's my answer. That's a good one. Uh, for, I have a couple. Uh, you have the deck hand going, he's come back and you're all going to die. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I do love those characters. The ominous portion. Char- Charles going, and you can forget about getting into any film school ever. <laughs> like, he has that kind of power. I love that. That's so good. And but my real answer is nighttime is the right time before Tamara takes that cocaine. Oh man, I meant to write that. Nighttime is the right time. I meant to write that line down because I was like, are we really doing more coke jokes? Like that is just. Oh man, that was good. That was good. Oh my god. That said. The end of our categories, I guess. Uh, uh, it I sure is. You want to start us off? Yeah, start us off with the final thoughts, Stephen. Please tell the good people at home. I'll be honest. I found this movie fun. Yeah. Be, like it was different than every other movie that has preceded it. Would I have liked mm. more time in Manhattan? Absolutely. But I understand that there were budgetary problems. But at, honestly, at that point, just keep it on the boat. I feel like the boat was interesting enough. Why do we need to go to Manhattan at all? It just feels very shooed in at the end, and you didn't need to do it. I, you're either going to go take Manhattan or you're not going to take Manhattan. You could throw it like, this isn't as bad as part five. You can throw this movie on and have a good time. It, it reminded me very much of like part three where like you're getting the cheesy lines, you're getting the weird sex uh, puns and the, you know. Yeah, just... we didn't even talk about the whole opening where they're, the two horny teens, I guess they shoot, shoehorned in their sex scene early on and I guess the boat that was rocks. Some, like full on sex scene too. Yeah, and it and it causes a riff in the tides, and they're pulling on a cable. The boat's pulling on a cable that electrocutes the corpse of Jason. They they just think electrocution can bring people back to life. I, I don't. <laughs> we skipped over all that, but yeah, I mean it's. I mean, please finish your thoughts, but it's. No, I I'm pretty much done. I just think that thus far. It has been one of the more entertaining movies that we have watched. I completely not agree necessarily. With that. Obviously, it's not a good movie, but it is entertaining. That is my final yeah. thought. No, as always, we uh, we're kindred spirits with our final thoughts with a lot of things. I feel like with this, my my whole gripe is it feels like two movies were crudely and unnecessarily slapped together. The first movie was a real movie, the gang. He's on a, a cruise ship, and Jason stalks them, which is already a good enough premise. You're on a cruise ship. A serial killer's on board. You're getting picked off one by one. It's clever. It's creative. And then you just slap on the New York stuff. Almost so, it's, it, For me, it almost, especially watching it this time, feels more like marketing reasons more than anything. I mean, the opening titles, they show everyone in Manhattan eating pizza and cabs. You're like, oh, it's Manhattan. Like, and, then, like, and then you don't really go back to Manhattan for another like hour. 
it's over an hour before they get there. It's, before the, it's more than an hour mark before they get there. Then you get there and it's a bunch of alleyways, sewers, you get barely, you get a little bit of Times Square in the subways, but like it really doesn't feel like Manhattan. So it's kind of like, what are you really going for? Um, it kind of feels like a balloon that gets deflated. Um, it feels like it's, I, I, I like that you compared it to part three because that's kind of how I felt in the sense that you're embracing the stupidity of just like, but also like it's incredibly entertaining. Um, I like that it's different. I like that they went with a different approach. I almost feel like they had, they looked at this franchise and they're like, we can't keep doing lakes and woods. We just can't keep doing it. The movie works because it takes a, a, a whole new stab at the, at the setting. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel the same way about the new blood. This feel, the franchise feels like it's on autopilot. It's silly. It's stupid. It's got one-liners. It's very comical. It is an, it is entertaining. If you're going to put on a Friday 13th movie as background noise, you could certainly put this on more so than part five. Um, it doesn't, it does not feel as inbred. It's, it's, you know, there's more to admire here. Um, and there's really not much else to take away. It, it's nice to see that they're stabbing in new directions and it's oh. no, pun inten- no pun intended. Good grief. Uh, 10 points to me, right? Um, no, but it's, it's, it's funny because so many fans, horror fans on online clamor for a new Friday the 13th movie. They're like, when are we getting a new Friday the 13th movie? And it's like, this is the only the eighties. Like J, the Friday the 13th primarily exists in the eighties. I mean, there's a couple, a little bit after, but that's like the most of the franchise exists in this one decade. And it's like, you can already start to feel like it's running out of steam. You're, you're already in, in the sense of like creativity in terms of its ideas. Like what can you do after this? Because now it feels like they're starting to outdo themselves where parts like one through, you know, parts one through six, it's like, all right, we do this like teeter, totter like roller coaster of like all right what is this franchise we all we know is it's it's this masked killer in the woods and on lakes you know and then it's like okay well let's try and shake it up a little bit and this is the first time they feel like they're really trying to do something different and then of course they do something different again and then after that different again and we'll get there next week but like it's really like i i don't know like it's you can i'm i the more i'm now that you and I have been watching these back to back to back and we're getting to the end of the finish line, it's easy to see why they kind of stopped when they did. We need to figure out what our next plan is. We can't just keep throwing darts at the wall and seeing, seeing what sticks. Um, but as far as Jason takes Manhattan, it's, it's fun. It's entertaining. I'm so totally Josh, cool with it. Tell me what is your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is going to be Wes Craven's 1972 uh, house on the left. Um, I've never and, actually seen that one. I actually watched it for my first time in full last year. Um, sorry, it's one of the first films of its kind in terms of being expletive and violent in ways that films have never been. Um, in terms of the way it pushed violence, um, especially sexual violence, like it had really never been done. Very I think that sexual. I, very, very sexual. But I think that our generation comes from a desensitized age where like someone our age could go back and watch it now and be like, oh, it's not that bad. But for its time, 1972, no one really saw movies that were basically, um, gore uh, they, were, they, they were basically like snuff films. It's not even really gore. It's just like, it's just snuff films. Like just these dudes take these women to the woods and they just beat them and abuse them and strip them naked and do horrible things to them. And it's like, 
sure it's like low budget and it's like you know it comes off as cheap and cheesy and there's this weird like hillbilly soundtrack that comes in when like the law enforcement comes in and it like feels like a little like dukes of hazard and it almost loses sight of what it's doing um and it's in a part of it works because it's so low budget and so cheap and uh, often so tacky but like because it pushed the boundaries it did it gave birth to the slasher films we watch today it gave birth to the friday the 13th movies you know and it's like it's um kind of a product of its time i feel like we reiterate we reiterated it a similar way last week in our final thoughts but it's like these movies we were watching like going you know i'm just referencing uh, last house on the left 1972 all the way to Jason Takes Manhattan, 1989. Like, that's a good block of time where these movies that you and I are watching were like, a lot of this is ridiculous. A lot of this is very silly. A lot of this is yeah. very corny. But then you look at it for the product of its time, and it's like, these really are the building blocks, which which would ultimately, again, come back to Scream. It would but lead sorry, to- I want to go back to, just off that point, because you- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really just, just, I have nothing else. Go yeah. on. No, it's just, what's going on up here? It's, I don't know, man. I never, I never know. know. <laughs> just, I feel like what something you said is just uh, a point that was made about Friday the 13th Part 7. We talked about the gore in that movie. I watched a, a like relatively recent uh, uh, interview with the director. I, I mean, it's probably like earlier 2000s, but it's like relatively recent. And he was saying that part of his frustration with the movie he made was that what people watch now are so much gorier and so much more like horrific than anything that he even attempted to put into his movie. Like he thought that the head being crushed into the size of a walnut was funny and it is funny, but you look at something like, I I don't know, pick something we have today and it's just how terrible the violence is comparatively. Anyway. Well, no, and that, but, but that's the whole thing. That's the kind of the antithesis of, no, sorry. That's the whole thesis of like what you and I are kind of doing because we're watching Friday, Friday the 13th in 2020 when these movies the 80s and they were considered shocking or violence. Yeah. And it's not that they're not, like there's still plenty of violence and shock, but like by today's standards, like these are movies that are considered kind of like, I don't want to call them tame, but like they're not nearly as bad as the stuff that you and I, our generation, has experienced. I've so seen I look at more blood in a Tarantino movie, which is considered a drama, you know, <laughs> an Oscar-nominated drama, than a cheesy, you know, eighties B horror movie where they're like had to pass multiple MPAA ratings to not getting an X rating, and it's like it speaks volumes for our generations. I look at Last House on the Left, and I'm like this is something that's a product of its time because it gave birth to all the really controversial slashers that came after, even if it seems tame by today's audiences. So yeah. anyway, that, that's um, my pick, but please gonna, tell us. For my pick, I'm going to go with the most classic of all horror movies. You, I'm sure everyone has seen it who's listened, but The Shining, 1980, Stanley Kubrick. This was, you this mentioned day was Kubrick inevitable. several times on this podcast, actually. I mean, I don't know what I can possibly say about The Shining that hasn't already been said. Kubrick's main objective when making the movie was to make a movie so scary that people could not be in the audience, like 
he wanted to make something that people would like leave during because they'd be so scared. And while I love every single frame of that movie, he came pretty close or closer than most directors have ever come to making a movie that you just like, at certain points, you need to take your eyes off. The it's screen. a pretty un- uncomfortable experience. And yet as a film goer, you can't help but be drawn to it, you know? Yeah, well, that's the brilliance of Kubrick because he draws you in and yet doesn't want you to watch. You know, he wants you to be horrified by what you want to watch. It's almost Hitchcockian in a way, but... Yeah, uh, it's sadistic. It's some good stuff. I know Stephen King does not care for it, but uh, you know what? It's Jack Nicholson. It's Shelley Duvall. You've definitely seen the movie, whether you've seen the movie or not, because so many sitcoms have parodied it it's not even funny like the south park episode which was hilarious it's so good Daddy boy, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> oh, i man. mean even uh the simpsons one of the treehouse of horror uh, yeah that's a classic um, one where homer homer's the one who turns i don't remember what he has on the typewriter um no tv feel, make feel, homer go isn't it feeling fine it's just something on something simple on the top uh the thing like feeling fine and then all of a sudden the, the lightning flashes and they show yeah everything oh, man i what's funny is i have actually drawn that so i should know what it says don't worry about it i'll, I'll find it um no no tv and no beer make homer crazy make homer go crazy that's it <laughs> i mean all that to say is that the film has been a staple of pop culture even in parody and satire since its inception yeah. So that's my pick. I think that's where we're going to end things. I agree. Uh, we, you, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Filmart. And next week, it's going to get real wild. I won't say anything about the movies, but I will say that I've seen them. And we're in for a doozy, guys. Things are scary. <laughs> and just remember in space, no one can hear you fucking. All right. We'll see you next time. Oh, adios, folks.